So this is the last Sunday of Advent. Um, Advent being this time that we enter into active waiting. We remember what it was like waiting for the Messiah to come, for Christ to come. But we also do it to um, be remembering that there are things that we wait for in times every day, where we wait for God to be with us. Um, And we've gone through a series where um, Pastor Ray led us in talking about Zechariah and remembering that God is with us in times of disbelief. And we walked with Pastor Jess through talking about the shepherds and talked about God being with us in rejection and when we have been left out. Um, Last week, Joe Reif talked to us about Joseph, and he talked about the moments where God is with us in the middle of confusion. And today I'm going to talk to us about Elizabeth and about God being with us in celebration. Elizabeth is um, a character that appears pretty much in one chapter and then is briefly referenced in another in the Bible. So there isn't much said about her, um, but she is kind of in some ways the second half to Zacharias's story um, because they were married and their journey kind of went together in this process. But it is, it is her own story and her own journey. And as we talk about Advent, in many ways it's the one I'm most drawn to. Um, I read Elizabeth's story a lot through my own lens of my experience and my personal pain. And so there's a lot of who she is and what she's gone through that I resonate with. We have some things that are in common, but that there is a fundamental difference between Elizabeth and me. And it's not that miracles happen to her um, and not necessarily to me, but it is a pivot around a proverb. Um, a proverb that's in Proverbs 13, verse 12. And it goes like this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Because this is deeply personal for me, and because this is a very, I think, important story for us to think about, um, I just want to start us off with some prayer. God, who is with us, Be with us now. Be in this place and ready us to hear your your workings in this world. As we remember the waiting, work with us as we become more ready for what you're doing in our lives and in this world. So I'm going to start my sermon off with a gratuitous bookshelf shot. Um, I have this amazing bookshelf. Uh, My dad and I made this together. People always have that, like, um, icebreaker question. If there was a fire, what three things would you grab? And I always tell them I would save my bookshelf. And they look at me like I'm crazy, and I say, no, I have a plan. Involves tipping all the books out, dragging it down the hall, and gently easing it over my balcony, which would work because I'm on the ground floor and there's grass right outside my balcony. Um, But it's very important to me, and partly because it's something that my dad and I made together. And if you don't know me, my family... Sorry, that was right in the mic. If you don't know me, my family lives overseas and has done since 93. Um, So my parents are all over in England and I am not. Um, And so anything that we have that was something we created together is very, very precious to me. 
So um, I, I have this bookshelf and it is amazing. But one of the things it allows me to do is to categorize my books by different categories. And one of the shelves on this book is the Austin and Austin adjacent shelf. So you can see it here. It has all my Jane Austen books on it, including the books that were riffs off Jane Austen, like Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, and Bridget Jones, and the um, oh-so-clever Curtis Sittenfeld eligible. Um, I love me some Austen. I may or may not have watched the BBC Pride and Prejudice which is five hours at least 20 times in my lifetime. Um, I just really do. And, and anybody who doesn't, like Mark Twain, we're gonna shake my fist in that general direction. Um, my favorite Austin heroine, though, is not the one that everybody expects. Everybody expects that since I'm a vivacious and outgoing, you know, sassy kind of person, that, that Elizabeth Bennet is my girl. And I do enjoy her, don't get me wrong. Uh, but my favorite Austin heroine is a woman named Anne Elliot. And she shows up in a book called Persuasion. I see a lot of myself in Anne Elliot. But let me tell you her story. Um, very early on in life, because she is, she's very kind and very capable. And she also has a very strong sense of responsibility and duty. And so very early on in life, she fell in love with this guy, but it was not at all prudent. And she listened to the people around her who said, you know, you gotta wait a little bit. This is probably not a good idea at this time with who he is. And so she turned down a proposal. He went off to sea, mayhem, mayhem. Um, she ended up living a life of disappointment. So you follow her 10 years later, and she is greatly diminished. She's still capable and kind, and responsible, but she's forgotten and cast aside. Like people don't see her as, like her family doesn't see her as somebody of value, they just see her as someone to use. Nobody sees her as a prospect for marriage anymore. She's too old, she is past her prime, um, and all this time she lives in the constant disappointment of what could have, could have been. And then in the magic story, the man that she loved came along again, and she has to watch him pursue other women in her circle, still loving him. Thankfully, because this is Austin, it does have a happy ending, and everything works out. Um, but I kind of really over-identify with Anne Elliot. Um, responsibility and disappointed hopes. Like, those are themes that I think flow through my life quite a bit. I also think she has a lot in common with Elizabeth, the protagonist of our story today. Elizabeth, we kind of met her a little bit in Zacharias' story a couple weeks ago, but she and her husband were faithful people. They were good people who honored God with their lives. And then they grew older and older and older, and yet no children. Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have any kids. And even though they were faithful to God, it was clear that this weighed on her. Um, we find out later on when miracles happen, you know, spoiler, um, that she, she says, this is what God has done for me to, um, to, I just lost the word I was going to say. Um, this is what God has done for me to remove my disgrace among people. When her husband was chosen by Lot to go serve God in the temple, he went in, and the angel of the Lord came to him and said, 
hi, you're going to have a kid. Zacharias's response is, how can this be? I'm old, and have you seen my wife? Like, this is not a possibility. This isn't going to happen. And the angel's like, no, no, no. You're going to have a son. His name will be John. He will be a great joy and delight to you. And he is going to call God's people out of cynicism and into hope again. He's going to be like the prophet Elijah. But because you didn't believe Zechariah, you're going to be silent. You are not going to speak until this baby is born. And he comes out, and everybody's like, what happened? And he's like, can't talk. Talks to them in sign language. And they go, oh, he must have seen a vision. Wow. But he came home, came home to Elizabeth, and shortly thereafter, she finds herself pregnant. So we know that there's been a longing for a long time for them to have a child. We see that hope has been deferred for a very long time. And things don't happen right away. There's a promise, but there's a period of time before the promise begins to happen. But Elizabeth's response is completely different than Zacharias. He goes, this can't be. I'm old. She says, look. Look at what the Lord has done for me. He has taken away my disgrace, my reproach among people. And you see in that that she has carried with her some inward pain, not having the things she wanted, And she's lived in this place where other people have seen her as a disgrace because of her not being able to conceive. So inward and outward pain are in her life. She forces us to ask this question, like, what do you do when the thing that you hope for gets pushed further and further away from possibility? Well, I can tell you what I do. When I told you that I see Elizabeth through the lens of my experience, I'm not kidding. Um, She and Anne Elliot touch a place of pain in me that generally I like to keep private. Um, I'm coming up in February on my 47th birthday, and all my life, growing up in both the church and growing up in my family, I've carried this hope that one day that I will be someone's wife and I will be someone's mother. I've wanted to be cherished and I wanted to be the person who could cherish. And, you know, last week Joe Rife talked about everybody, or people often having the IKEA plan that if I do all these things in the right way for God, then presto, the things I want will be magically there. And I have lived that way in a large part of my life, thinking I have done all the right things. I have been responsible. I have followed the plan that God has for my life. I have been honorable. I have tried to serve God to the best of my abilities. I've tried to do the right thing when it comes to like dating and relationships and all that kind of stuff. So where is my awesome miracle, right? But here I am. I'm still waiting. And on the good days, and there are mostly good days, I can celebrate the life I have. I have friends and community and possibility. I have a job that I really love, com- groups that I'm proud to be a part of. And, you know, courtesy of Emma Watson, I can proudly say that I'm self-partnered at this time in my life. <laughs> but on the bad days, and those days do come, like I am cynical and angry 
And it hurts in the core of me because I grieve the loss of promise and possibility. And I can see people who I love and cherish getting the things that I want so badly. And what I get is why? Why, God, did they get? What did I do wrong? What did I miss? Where? Why not me? And it comes back to that proverb. When hope is deferred, the heart is sick. And sick hearts do not respond to miracles in joy. Like shifting gears from cynicism to joy is so difficult. One of my favorite quotes, a friend, uh, um, uh, my favorite artist has tattooed on her and it says, comparison is the thief of joy. And that is so true. When I compare myself to what I do not have, that robs me of my joy. And I know because of how I'm wired and because of how I've allowed myself to respond to this pain, that if tomorrow the miraculous happened, that a good partner made himself known and things progressed, I know that I would not be able to respond as well as I would want to. Because realistically, I would be scared. Realistically, I would struggle in believing that this was actually real, that I could trust enough to hope. I would still be angry. Why did this take so long? I would still be cynical. Is there something wrong with me that it has waited this long to happen? And I would still be grieving that this isn't what I thought it would be. Elizabeth is very different from me. We, we don't have a full picture of her story in this. We don't know all her fears. We don't know all the ways that she responded. And we don't know the full arc of her story. But we see her response to this miracle. And I think we can extrapolate who she was and how she dealt with the pain that she had and how she dealt with God in the midst of that. Her whole story in this chapter paints a picture of the way she dealt with her unrelenting disappointment in a different way. And it left her being able to fully enter this moment with joy and celebration. So let's look at this story. Find it in Luke 1. And it says here that when Zacharias' priestly assignment was completed, he came back home, and it wasn't very long before Elizabeth, his wife, conceived. She went off by herself for five months, relishing her pregnancy. So this is how God acts to remedy my unfortunate condition, she says. Or another translation says it like this. The Lord has done this for me, she says. And in these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among people. And while she's away for these five months, Gabriel shows up to Mary, a little teenage girl um, betrothed to Mary Joseph. And he tells her, that she is going to have a son. And then he says, also, just so you know, your old cousin Elizabeth is five months pregnant right now. So Mary, after responding in the moment, immediately gets up, packs her stuff, and takes off for Elizabeth. And she calls out as she's coming, and Elizabeth comes out. And now I have to pause this for a minute here, because almost every time I've heard this Christmas story, or I've seen it done, it's this really lovely moment. Oh, 
Mary, I see you and the child in my womb. Leap for joy. Yay. And Mary goes, yay. The Lord has favored me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? But it's not. It's not that story. If you read Luke, it starts off like this. Mary's coming and she calls out and then Elizabeth loudly goes, oh, Mary, when I heard your voice, this child in my womb leaped for joy. Like, how can it be that my salvation is coming to me here? Blessed, you're so blessed, Mary. And Mary's response is not that my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She starts off on this, like, celebration hymn where she talks about things being upended. She's like, God is coming. I am celebrating this because those who were high are going to be brought down low. And those who are low, who have been forgotten, who have been trampled, are going to be brought up because God is upending everything. It's a raucous celebration. This teenage girl and this old woman are here celebrating with joy and recognizing that this, this is not a normal occurrence. And God is at work among the people. If in this moment, if in her lifetime, Elizabeth had lived in cynicism and anger and pain, this would never have been possible because you don't respond to miracles and salvation in fear and cynicism with joy. Like, if you live in fear and cynicism, miracles are a little weird. If you live in fear and cynicism, miracles are not to be trusted. But if you trust and you enter in, then cynicism and fear are not how you've been living. These women were able to be fully present in the work that God was done. And I don't think Elizabeth got to that moment suddenly. I think who she was and how she dealt with her pain and disappointment and how she interacted with God through that allowed her to respond to this move in this moment. Let's go back to this proverb. Hope deferred, or as one of the translations says it, unrelenting disappointment makes the heart sick. This is truth. I see it all the time. I talk to the, the people that I work with, the people that I stand with in resistance, that our resilience is low because there's been so many things in our world recently that has just been disappointment after disappointment and hopes dashed and hopes put off. It has been unrelenting and it makes our hearts sick. So why in this moment is Elizabeth's heart not sick? She has every reason to be that way, but she's not. And I think it comes down to a couple things. I think the first thing is we need to ask, where was her hope? What was her hope in? Was her hope in the identity that she wanted, being a mother and a wife? Or was it in trusting God to be faithful, to lead her and her household in the journey. Trusting that God's great love would be enough for a thriving and a sustaining life. 
Hope can be delicious, but honestly, hope can be dangerous when it is in a thing or a person or an identity. It's very different if our hope is in the one who is faithful and true. Where we're not hoping for a destination, but we're placing our hope in the one that will lead us to being fully who we were created to be. Honestly, I wish I had wrestled with this sooner in my life. I wish I had learned this 20 years ago. Because I think I would be a different person today because of that. But I think Elizabeth did. I think who she was in the moment shows that she had had to wrestle with this early on. So that she could be fully present when God was leading her onwards. I also think Elizabeth made a choice. I think Elizabeth chose wonder over cynicism. Like her own husband had a hard time with this. His response was, how can this be? Are you kidding me? And an angel was right in front of him telling him that, right? It wasn't a doctor. It wasn't a friend. It was an angel in the temple, right? Elizabeth didn't have that angel. She had a mute husband. And what she said was, Look what the Lord is doing. Zacharias had a hard time believing because I think he lived in pain and cynicism. Elizabeth saw salvation coming. And her attitude and belief helped create a space for Mary, who was also dealing with quite the momentous occasion, right? And I think her ability to celebrate, Elizabeth's ability to celebrate, didn't spark the moment of the miracle. It didn't spark the moment she knew she was pregnant. It started long before. It started in the dark night of disappointment. Because somehow Elizabeth knew God was with her when she was the subject of gossip and ridicule in her community. She knew that God was with her when she mourned the loss of possibility. And when she hurt and when she raged, she knew God was with her then. And the way I see it, God was helping her become a person of trust. Not in a destination, but in the person of God. The work God was doing, and God walked with her and was with her, enabling her to enter into celebration. In this Advent season, in this time of waiting, where we look at the things that we are waiting for, in our world, in our lives, in our families, in our jobs, in all the areas we touch. Let's remember this. God is with us. God, who is fully love and embodies love, is with us in the pain, the unrelenting disappointment, the grief, the dark nights of loss, the anger, the fear. He's with us in the moments where we don't live up to who we want to be and the days when life isn't what we thought it was going to be. God is with us. He's with us when we are rejected, with us when we don't believe. He's with us when we don't understand. God is here, and he's calling us to not give up hope but instead to enter in, to be present with God in our pain, in our deferred hope, 
and trust that God will be with us. That God will work with us to help us become who we were created to be. I look at Elizabeth and I want to be like her. Not because of the miracle, but because of who she became. Her choices and her faith allowed her to fully enter in to the possibility of redemption, of restoration, and to celebrate the work that God was doing. So in this Advent, let's be like Elizabeth. When we're heading face first into the waiting, I'm going to encourage us to do three things. First, invite God into the unrelenting disappointments. Make space for him there where you enter into that too. Second thing I'm going to encourage you to do is to realign your hope. Are you hoping for a thing, an identity, a possibility? Or are you putting your hope in the one who will bring you fullness of life? And the third, this Advent, choose joy, not cynicism. It seems incredibly ridiculous in this moment, but on my way here this morning, I had to stop and print out my sermon. And I was at Kinko's, and I'm sitting there at the copier, and I look over, and there was this plush, fluffy unicorn, white with Christmas colors. It was freaking adorable. <laughs> Almost 47 years old. I don't have any children of my own, but all I could think was, Oh my gosh, that is adorable, I want that thing. It sparked joy. Like in that moment, I could have gone, oh good Lord, it's another thing for a holiday and it's ridiculous and the whatever. But you know what I did? I bought that fluffy unicorn. It is with me today. It is super cute. And those are the moments. Like joy is not always in the big things. Sometimes joy is in the little moments. Choose joy. Choose joy, not cynicism. And these things, I think, will get us ready to celebrate. Not only celebrating the reminder that Jesus came into this world, but celebrate that he is here with us. He's not going away. He is with us. And with him, we have life. Let's pray. God, in the waiting the darkness, in the moments where we don't see you moving, in the moments where we are not who we think we're supposed to be, be with us and call us out of cynicism into hope, into love, into joy, and into celebration. Let us join with you in this miraculous journey. Amen.